Our scripture today comes from Luke 6, 32 through 37. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Good morning. At this time, uh, our our kids are going to be dismissed for children's church. So if you've got kids three years old through first grade, they're going to head out that way for children's church. There's also a a staffed nursery over there if you've got um, any kiddos that need to take advantage of that. Or we've got a a cry room um, in the back as well if you just want to do that. I'm going to move this out of the way. This is leftover from last week, so I'm going to just scoot that there. Uh, so we are continuing our, or, or actually, I guess, formally kind of beginning our, our series on forgiveness today. Yes, last week was kind of a prelude to it, and so we're going to begin talking about forgiveness this morning. And as I said last week, Joseph is going to kind of be the backdrop for our series overall, but we're actually not going to talk about Joseph at all today. We'll return to him, I think, next week. So <laughs> uh, he's, he, he'll come and go through the series because it's really a topical look at forgiveness, which I think is a string that works through that story. Um, but today we're not going to talk about him. Um, and that scripture that, that Kelsey read for us just a minute ago, um, I think serves as a good uh, overview or, or beginning point for this series in general and our lesson today. Because I think it points to the idea that Jesus' ideas of mercy, of love, of forgiveness, of righteousness, uh, are so different than what the world tells us. The world tells us we are to, to act in those ways towards people who are good to us, towards people who, who love us, towards people who we love, towards people from whom we can expect something back from. And Jesus says, no, that's, that's not what it looks like in my kingdom. Uh, and so that's going to kind of inform where we go this morning. Before we get into the lesson, I want to make mention of a couple of things, uh, kind of announcement-y items. Uh, You may remember a while back, I think back in like April or something, we did a series kind of about who we are and expounded on this this idea that we are people who are rooted in God, growing in Christ, uh, reaching the world, and, and talked about some things that we want that to mean within our church community. And so we have uh, there was kind of a list of, of things we wanted to kind of focus on or emphasize in the coming year from then. And one of the main things in that was, was youth ministry. And so if you've seen Katie, around, Katie Ann around coming and going uh, on the weekends, she's still here in and out on weekends. But, but bringing her in was a big part of that. And she'll be here locally, uh, still in a part-time position, but here locally full-time beginning in the beginning of 2019. And so we're excited uh, about that. Uh, a couple of other things we wanted to, to really emphasize, one of them was community outreach. Um, and so one of the things we're doing with that is 
is to try to develop a relationship with the, the apartment complex next door to us. Um, and so I've talked to the manager there. They're open to that. Uh, we've talked about maybe doing something in the coming months that would be an event but with, with the two of us. We don't know exactly what that would look like. But one of the things that that could look like is what we've sent out some email messages about is there's been interest in doing a trunk or treat on Halloween night. Halloween's a Wednesday. And so there's interest in doing that, but we want to make sure that, that we've got enough interest in people coming to do a trunk <laughs> in order to put that together and, and advertise it to the apartment complex and things like that. So you may have seen a couple of emails about that. Uh, we know that, that for a trunk or treat, that may uh, take out some of our young families. If you've got young kids, we know you may want to be doing your own thing, trick or treating. We understand that. But if, if you are wanting to give out candy that night, and, and want to come up here and do that, you, we hope that you would consider doing that. Um, you can go all out decorating your trunk, or you can just come hand out candy, either, either way. Uh, but please let Pam know. We're trying to get a count to know if we will be able to pull that off or not. And um, whether it's that event or another one, we do want to be intentional about, um, about being a presence, being a positive presence um, in our immediate vicinity and, and community and neighborhood. So you can send Pam an email, or if you want to... Um, these are little information cards that we put in the bulletin each week. If you want to just say on there, hey, I'm going to do a trunk and put that in the, in the collection plate this morning, you can do that. Just say, I'll do a trunk. Um, if you want to get artistic with it, you can draw a jack-o'-lantern on there or something or a trunk with candy, something like that, that we will know that that means I'm going to do a trunk. Um, so that's one thing to mention this morning and just to, to remind you about and make you aware of. Uh, another thing that we have... Um, wanted to emphasize that I really don't have much more on this morning, but I just want to make you aware, we, uh, we want to, to reprioritize and re-energize our small group ministry, and, and we want to, to put energy behind that. We believe that, that small groups ideally can be a lifeblood of, of relational connection uh, and involvement with our church and, and can lead to uh, community outreach in, in small groups. And so uh, in the new year, that's something we're going to be pushing towards, towards really making a push for, for, for bringing some new energy and purpose into that ministry. And so we'll have more to share about that in the coming uh, weeks. But just wanted you to, to know about that and something to be looking ahead to this morning. All right, so enough with the announcement stuff. Back to forgiveness. Uh, today, our, our lesson is kind of framed in this question, what are the limits of forgiveness? Uh, this is one of the primary questions that is explored in a book entitled The Sunflower. Uh, the Sunflower was written by a man named Simon Wiesenthal, who we have a, a picture of here on the screen. Simon was a, a Jewish man who somehow survived life in a German concentration camp in, um, in the, at the time of, of Hitler. And so the Jewish people in these camps had, had to do various tasks and jobs. They were on various workforces and teams. And so at one point in, in Simon's imprisonment, he is taken to do work at a German, uh, a Nazi hospital. And at one point while he was there, a nurse comes out and, and is looking for a Jew. And she grabs Simon, and he doesn't know where he's going. And she takes him to the bedside of a dying Nazi soldier. And over the course of the next several hours, this Nazi soldier from his deathbed uh, begins to lament his time and his role in Hitler's military and army. Uh, and in particular, 
in particular, he confesses to a gruesomely heinous act of murdering a house full of Jewish families. And I will spare you the details of it this morning, but if you want to know more about it, it's in the book, The Sunflower, and it will, um, it will make you very queasy. Or if you are a crier, I'm sure it will bring you to tears. I'm not a crier, so I felt it in my gut just the whole time reading it. Uh, it's a scene that he rec- recounts to this Jewish man in, in precise and vivid detail. And so he gets to the end of all that, uh, and, and several times over the course of the conversation, Simon has gotten up to leave because it's just too much for him. He can't take it, uh, but the man keeps pulling him back, and, and something keeps Simon there. And so they get to the end of this very one-sided conversation, and the soldier says to Simon, I know that what I have told you is terrible. In the long nights while I have been waiting for death, time and time again, I have longed to talk about it to a Jew and beg forgiveness from him. Only I didn't know whether there were any Jews left. That statement will will hit you. Uh, I know that what I am asking is almost too much for you, but without your answer... I cannot die in peace. And so now in the moment, Simon Wiesenthal has to process all of that. So how does one answer a dying Nazi soldier who has committed unspeakable atrocities against humanity but is now asking for forgiveness? Uh, I think there is something very powerful, something supernatural, uh, something inspiring about the, the idea of forgiveness. Uh, so every once in a while, people will ask me how I choose certain topics or sermon series, and it's, often, it's always different depending on what the topic or series is, uh, different reasons for different ones. Um, but forgiveness is a topic that I had been thinking about doing something with, and then while thinking about that, it seemed to come up, and it came up several times in our, our, our class on Sunday mornings in the fellowship hall. Forgiveness seemed to be a topic that gained traction uh, anytime it came up, came up in other conversations with people, and so there seemed to be some affirmation that this would be a topic that would be good for us to, to dig into and to explore together. Uh, but aside from that, I don't think it's possible for us to overstate the importance of forgiveness to our Christian faith. Uh, if Christianity is about anything, it's about forgiveness. Uh, I think if there are... Uh, I think the ideas of of loving enemies and and offering unmitigated forgiveness are the two most radical teachings of Jesus. And I really think the two are tied together because I don't think you can get to loving enemies without a robust understanding of of forgiveness. Um, Martin Luther King even preached about this in a sermon uh, that he preached about loving enemies. And this is what he said about a connection between these two concepts. He said, it seems to me that the first thing that the individual must do in order to love his enemy is to develop the capacity to forgive with a naturalness and ease. If one does not have the capacity to forgive, he doesn't have the capacity to love. Uh, That these two things are inexplicably tied together. And, And they are both an incredible witness to the world of our faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, there is something incredibly power, powerful about the witness of, of undeserved forgiveness. Uh, that is a testimony 
that I, I think has, has impact the likes of which we may not ever even know. Uh, in addition to that, the concept of forgiveness was, of course, central to the message and identity of Jesus. Jesus taught, for instance, that if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And I just want to stop and think about that for a minute. (laughs) Because we rightfully talk a lot about God's grace towards us, God's mercy towards us, and how uh, there's nothing we can do to earn it. We don't deserve it. Uh, We can't outrun God's grace. All these cliches that we say that are all very true. Um, But but Jesus couches all that in this idea that, wait a minute, Uh, if you don't forgive other people, God's not going to forgive you. And he just lays it out there pretty plainly. This is right after uh, the Lord's Prayer that we we pray every Sunday after the Lord's Prayer, as Matthew records it. uh, Jesus really only expounds on one part of that prayer. He, he, He goes into a little more detail about the part about forgiveness. And he does that by saying, by the way, I just want you to know, um, you have to forgive other people in order for God to forgive you. That's a pretty big deal, and it's something we shouldn't lose sight of. The problem for us is that real, genuine forgiveness is really hard. Uh, there's nothing easy about it, which is part of what makes it so powerful. And I can't imagine a tougher or more difficult forgiveness dilemma than to imagine a situation like the one Simon Wiesenthal finds himself in, sitting next to a dying Nazi soldier. Like, if you were going to make a hypothetical situation about how would you respond, uh, this would be it. There's no clear-cut answer to this situation. And the power of the story, as Simon tells it in the book, lies not only in the vivid description of the Nazi soldier's sins, but also in the excruciatingly gut-wrenching account that Simon gives of what it is like to live in a German concentration camp. Uh, I don't know that I had ever read a firsthand account uh, like that of, of what it was like to be on the inside of one of those camps, but it's an existence that, I mean, I can't even begin to fathom or, or imagine what that would have been like. And I sure can't imagine what it would have been like to still be in that situation and then have a Nazi soldier come and ask for forgiveness for that. (laughs) Like, it seems like one thing. It it would still be difficult, I'm sure, years after the fact. Um, But maybe, like, from the safety of, of knowing that all that is over, you can process it a little differently. But while you're in the midst of all that terror... Uh, while you're in the midst of just the, the, the horrible things that are going on in these camps, I don't even know how you begin to, to think about forgiving someone who has done all these terrible, terrible things. And so the German soldier, though, begs for forgiveness. And he says, without your answer, I can't die in peace. But in that moment, Simon understandably has no words for the man. And so they sit together in silence for a moment before Simon just gets up without saying anything and leaves the room. Uh, He can't bring himself to say anything to the guy. He goes back to the camp, and later that night, the German soldier dies. And so this experience weighs on Simon for the rest of his life, really. 
uh, but it is particularly weighing on him that night as he is trying to process going back to a camp now and, and, and rec- reconciling all these feelings about this German soldier. And so he finally decides to call together some of his other Jewish friends in this camp. He was a little, he couldn't decide if he wanted to do this because he didn't know how others would react to it. But he decides, I've got to tell other people about this experience that I went through. Uh, so he calls together some of his friends over their gross dinner that they have. And these, as he describes, it's kind of like some gray soup-like substance <laughs> that they had to eat for dinners. Uh, and so he begins to tell his friends about this experience that he had. And as you might imagine, their responses are, are all over the map. Uh, one guy, one of his closest friends, uh, just can't hardly even listen to it. Uh, he says, I don't, I don't understand how you could even consider having pity on someone who has done these crazy stuff, this, these crazy things. Because none of these guys had seen the things that this particular German soldier had done, but they had all seen the nature of the crimes over and over and over and over again. And so for some of these men, it was just too much to handle. And it brings up this question for us again, what are the limits of forgiveness? Because for some of these men, the idea of of forgiving a German soldier was something they weren't even ready to consider. That was past the limits of their forgiveness in that moment. Uh, Which again, I think from a human perspective is completely understandable. And it's also what makes the teachings of Jesus incredibly radical. In his teachings, Jesus proclaims a message about forgiveness that runs counter to man's tendency towards punishment and retribution and vengeance and violence. There's a a story in Genesis, for instance, where uh, Cain kills his brother Abel. And so God comes to Cain and says, I'm going to send you out and you're going to roam the earth and all this other stuff. And, and Cain says, wait a minute, if you send me out there on my own, uh, people are, someone's going to kill me. This is a, a topic that Cain is an expert in. He knows what makes other people kill people. So he says, I know how murderers work. Someone's going to kill me if you send me out there. And so God says, no. He says, I tell you what. He says, anyone who kills you will suffer vengeance seven times over. And so he puts a mark on Cain so that no one will kill him. And so this story about vengeance being brought against anyone who kills Cain uh, seems to work its way down the generations of of Cain's family, kind of like a family heirloom or family folklore that's been passed down. And so we get to a man named Lamech. And Lamech is someone who seems to embody kind of the retribution-filled tendencies that we have as people. And so on one occasion, Lamech brings together his two wives, and he regales them in this romantic poem. Uh, This is in Genesis 4. It says, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Very romantic, right? These are the kinds of words you would want to say to your wife over dinner (laughs) that listen to how violent and vengeful of a person I am. Um, This is the idea of of vengeance that is born out in humanity. It's what we see over and over in the Old Testament through different people and instances. And it's the story that Jesus is born into. And so if you skip ahead now to the time of Jesus... There's a story, there's an occasion in which 
Peter, one of the disciples, uh, seems to have a, a similar question to Simon Wiesenthal. What are the limits of forgiveness? How far do we have to go in this whole forgiveness thing? And so Peter asked Jesus on one occasion, he says, uh, Jesus, how many times should I forgive a brother or sister who sins against me? And he says, up to seven times, like thinking that's a big number, like that's a lot. Seven is kind of a number of completion, of per- perfectness uh, in, in Jewish culture. So surely seven times would be a lot, right? This is a very real question for Peter about knowing the limits of forgiveness and how far do I have to go in forgiving someone? And Jesus says, no, 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 not seven times, but 77 times. There's a direct correlation there between the numbers found in Genesis. Uh, Now, your Bible may may interpret Jesus' answer there as 70 times seven, which would be a little different numerically, Uh, but there are at least echoes of this concept that we have tracing back to the stories in Genesis that are now echoed in Jesus' ministry. That Jesus turns a concept used to represent ultimate vengeance into something that now represents overflowing forgiveness. And it's this expansive forgiving nature that is seen clearly on the cross where the sinless and guiltless Christ who is marked for our sins cries out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. While Cain is marked so that others won't kill him, Jesus is marked for our sins as he is being killed. But instead of being a warning about potential vengeance, Jesus' marks are testimonies to his forgiving and loving and merciful and graceful nature. And they are reminders for us of how we should live in relation to others. As John tells us in his gospel, light came into darkness, but darkness did not understand it. And so darkness did what it usually does to light that it doesn't understand. It put it to death. And yet from the cross, Jesus cries out for the forgiveness of those who put him to death because Jesus' version of forgiveness is without limits. If the limits of forgiveness are not yet reached when God himself is put to death at the hands of his own creation, then I don't think the limits of forgiveness are boundaries which we will be able to find in the wrongs that are committed against us. Uh, So back to Simon Wiesenthal. Simon sits in this concentration camp now. Uh, Some don't want to hear this message at all. Uh, Some are saying that's beyond the limits of what we are willing to consider. But there's one man named Josek, and and Simon really wants to hear Josek's perspective on all this because Josek is different from the other men in the camp with them because Josek's faith has not yet been broken by the Nazis. Uh, there's There's a theme among the other Jews in the camp that God is on leave. Uh, that God is, for some reason, distant from this place, which, again, is, is very understandable how you would arrive at that perspective. Uh, but Josek still believes and has faith, and so Simon wants to hear his perspective. But interestingly, uh, Josek presses the limits of forgiveness in a different way. Josek tells Simon that it is not his place to forgive this Nazi soldier, 
because Simon himself was not the one hurt by the man's actions. Josic argues that forgiving wrongs committed against someone else goes beyond the limits of forgiveness, which just in general makes sense. Uh, You can only forgive those things which are done to you. Simon counters all that with with the idea that the the wronged individuals in this particular scenario are all dead now. Uh, It's not possible for this man to to get forgiveness from him. And so he goes about the next best thing in Simon's uh, mind of of seeking forgiveness from a a sort of representative of the Jewish people. Uh, And the the dilemma and the the, um, almost inability to find a clear-cut answer to this scenario just builds the more you think about it and the more questions that are brought into it. And Simon continues to wrestle with it. Later on, uh, Simon even shares this story with another man of faith uh, who shares Simon's way of seeing things, that, that, that this was the only way that this soldier could have gone about seeking forgiveness. But again, this idea raises another question on the limits of forgiveness. Because while followers of Jesus should be liberal and limitless in forgiving others, that doesn't mean that forgiveness itself is without limits. Joseph's point is that we are limited to forgiving those offenses that are, co- that are committed against ourselves. That is a limit of forgiveness. Uh, similarly, I think it is important for us to know and remember what forgiveness is not and what it doesn't include as we think about this idea of offering it without limit. Uh, so next week, we're going to get into a little more about kind of the nature of forgiveness and what it is. But I want to spend a few minutes uh, today uh, before we close thinking about a few important things that forgiveness is not, uh, because I think these are important for us to, to know and to understand as rem- and remember as we seek to go about uh, offering forgiveness in the way that Jesus calls us to. Uh, so for one thing, forgiveness does not mean that we are discounting or overlooking or minimizing the pains caused by someone else's words or actions. Uh, Forgiveness doesn't try to take that away. Forgiveness just tries to move forward past it. It tries to seek a way forward. It does not negate the fact that a wrong has taken place. Forgiveness also does not mean forgetting. Uh, We may get into this one a little more next week, but uh, we'll kind of go briefly through it now. Uh, but we have this concept sometimes that to, to forgive means that I need to forget, um, which isn't the type of, of forgiveness that is ever spoken of, uh, that, that we are ever called to. Um, and in fact, in some cases, forgetting may actually undercur- undercut or short, short-circuit the work that forgiveness is designed to cultivate in ourselves and in our relationships. Uh, I think sometimes we use the scripture of, of love keeps no record of wrongs to kind of um, under, undergird this idea that we have culturally that we're, that we're supposed to forgive and forget. Uh, but I think those are very different concepts. Uh, the idea of, of love not keeping record of wrongs is, is, is separate from that, I think, and, and means more that I'm not going to allow the past to influence our relationship going forward. I'm not going to keep bringing up those things that we have already been through, that we've already gone through, that we've already worked through. I'm not going to keep bringing those up in conversations or discussions and arguments. Um, I'm not going to allow those things um, to, to hinder our relationship in love going forward. Uh, that's different in the idea that 
I have to forget something in order to forgive someone. Um, so again, if you've got questions about that one, because I know that one's prevalent, and we may return to that one, uh, but for today, we're going to kind of skim through some of these briefly. Uh, finally, and this is the one that I think is, is perhaps most important for us in, in terms of this conversation, uh, forgiveness is different from reconciliation. And oftentimes, when, when people talk about uh, the limits of forgiveness, uh, I think it's because they are using the terms forgiveness and reconciliation interchangeably. Um, and, and when discussing that there are situations that we may not need to forgive someone, really what they're saying is there are situations where we may not need to be reconciled to someone in relationship. But there's an important distinction between the two that I think, especially as Christians, we have to recognize and realize. Uh, because it is possible for forgiveness to be a one-way street. It would be ideal that, that this is a two-way process, but it's possible for forgiveness to be a one-way street, meaning that it's possible for me to forgive someone even if that other person doesn't even recognize that they have wronged me. Um, we've probably been in situations where we feel hurt by someone else and that other person doesn't even realize what they've done, or maybe we've tried to tell them that they have hurt us, but they don't want to acknowledge that they have hurt us or they don't think they have. Uh, it's still possible for me, even if it's just internally, for me to forgive that person. Uh, forgiveness doesn't have to be something that takes two people. Forgiveness can just take one person. I think we see a prime example of this on the cross. Uh, Jesus doesn't cry out for the forgiveness of those who are crucifying him because they have said they're sorry. <laughs> um, Jesus cries out for forgiveness because of who he is and the forgiving nature that he embodies. It's about who he is, not who the other people are. Uh, forgiveness in this sense is something that I am able to do internally so that I do not continue to let a wound fester or become infested. Uh, as others have said, uh, when I fail to give forgiveness in this way, it's as if I am drinking poison thinking that it's going to hurt the other person. <laughs> and it ends up being something that just eats away at me and the other person may not even know that it's happening. Uh, but it just usually makes us bitter, uh, makes us angry, and doesn't do any good within ourselves. Ideally, for sure, forgiveness is a bridge to a restored relationship. But forgiveness may also simply be a way forward for myself that doesn't involve the other person at all. And while forgiveness can be a one-way street, reconciliation must be a two-way street. Reconciliation is what happens when, when one party repents of what they have done and the other party is willing to forgive that wrongdoing. And as they move toward each other, reconciliation happens. And so forgiveness is a part of that process, uh, but the terms are not synonymous and, and we shouldn't confuse them because there's an important distinction there. And so because reconciliation requires things that go beyond one person's control, not all relationships can and should be reconciled, uh, but that is a limit on reconciliation, not on forgiveness. And I think this point, above all others, must be emphasized when discussing Jesus' call to generous forgiveness, because I can control every aspect of my forgiveness of another person, even if that's a process that takes place totally and completely on an internal basis. Uh, again, hopefully that leads us to reconciliation, but there may be uh, times in which that other person doesn't want that, and so that's beyond my control. 
uh, that there's, there are other times when that may be detrimental to me as a person, either emotionally or, or physically in the case of an abusive relationship where it, it just may not be possible because of that other person's uh, actions or tendencies to go back into a reconciled relationship. Uh, but the call is still there for us to forgive, which is something that is still within my capacity to do, even if just on my own. So throughout this series, I'm going to encourage us to be thinking about things that that have to do with our forgiveness of other people. And what I want to close with today um, is is a call to encourage us to think about this question. Who in your life tests your limits of forgiveness? Uh, Who in your life do you find struggling to forgive? Maybe it's, it's someone uh, who continues to do the same things over and over and over again, and you feel like you're Peter saying, like, okay, I've, I've done this seven times. Surely I don't have to forgive again, right? Uh, but Jesus says, no, 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 it's, it's much higher than that. <laughs> or maybe it's someone who has com- com- uh, committed something against you that you are just holding on to, and, and forgiving that act is, is beyond what you feel capable of doing. And so maybe even if reconciliation feels too far away, uh, maybe there is work that you can do within your own heart to forgive. I would encourage us this week as we begin thinking about this topic, who are the people who test the limits of our forgiveness? And how can our hearts be moved towards forgiveness for those people? knowing that through Jesus we have the picture of complete and total forgiveness, that our sins have been totally and completely forgiven on the cross. And it is not that God forgot our sins. It is that God made the decision to remember them no more through Jesus. And he decides fully and completely to look on us and see not our sin, but see Christ and his righteousness upon us. And with that knowledge, how else can we go about relationship with others but to forgive generously and without limit? Uh, We also acknowledge that there are things that we may need to ask for forgiveness for in our own lives. And that's part of what we do is we pray our prayer of confession each week before communion. And so we're going to do that now uh, as we recognize our need for forgiveness through Jesus And so in just a minute, we're going to share in that communion meal together. And after that, we'll have the opportunity uh, to give. Uh, But before that, we'll pray our prayer of confession uh, together. So if you would stand.